0: Ladies and gentlemen, the number one New York Times bestselling author and the recipient of the National Jefferson Award, your host, Dave Pelzer. Hello, America and world at large. This is your host, Dave Pelzer. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this show. I am fully aware uh, how busy everybody is, and there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of chaos, a lot of stress. And if I may, I'm going to go on a tangent here, as, as I usually do, if, if I may promise you anything, if you listen to the show, it's the first of, of hopefully of, of many shows, but I guarantee you this, if you listen to the show and give it a shot, as, as discombobulated or running on tangents as I may do, will do, I guarantee you'll get something out of this something that you might have forgotten, is something that you can put in your backpack, something to hopefully encourage and inspire, to to give you more drive, or mainly to give you solace. So I truly, truly appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show. So the first thing out of the gate, I just want to ask you, how are you doing? I know that's an unusual question for a host to ask an audience, but I'm serious. How are you doing? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you overly stressed? Are you flying off the handle? Are things not going your way? Please, in this day and age, and and they say we're in a baseball game when it comes to this virus, we're in the second inning of the virus. And of course, that includes the loss of jobs, which creates more stress. Please, of all things, you can't work if you're dead. Take care of yourself first. Take time for yourself, five 10 little things a day, whether it's a cup of coffee, you know, maybe listening to music, maybe meditating, maybe taking a nap. Of all things I love to do, I love to take a nap. It recharges me. I'm a first responder, so I'm, I'm 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 a firefighter, so I'm always in some form of uniform. And sometimes I'll just lay down and close my eyes for 15 minutes. So if I do get called out for duty, I can answer the call. So as an individual, as a parent, whatever it is you do please take those moments of time to take care of yourself so that's the most important thing and if you got to leave right now there's something you can throw in your backpack so uh with that ladies and gentlemen uh I, i i i don't well i i have to i have to address the elephant in the tiny studio apartment the virus ladies and gentlemen I know a lot of people are scared, and a lot of people are fed up of sheltering in place. And we're so used to things being so instantaneous for us, whether it's uh, overnight delivery from from Amazon, whether we're streaming films that just came out, whether we want something right here, right now. This is a new world. Our world has changed, whether it's 9-11, whether it's the post-recession of 2008. This is a new world, and we're in it for the long haul. Please. Be patient, and please apply common sense. Please, here's your PSA of the day. Please wear your mask. When you're outside, wear your mask. If you are worn your mask uh, three or four times, you know, if you can clean it, clean it. If not, get another. Please social distance. Please watch what you're doing and where you're at at all times, please. I've lost uh, an elderly gentleman I've known since the mid-'90s. He died from the virus. My dearest friend, my childhood friend for, since my days in foster care when I was a young boy, had it. I have a niece that still has it. She can't kick it. And for the virus, it, it affects people in different ways. It's, for her, it's, it's like heat stroke. She goes outside and she's just suddenly exhausted. And she's saying, I got to work. I got to work. And I came up with the line, you know, sweetheart, you can't work if you're dead. I've known other people that have had it. It's a real thing, ladies and gentlemen, so please take care of yourself, and it's sad because with the virus, we have unemployment, and we have to learn, we have to accept that things are different now. I used to travel. I've traveled uh, uh, one time. uh, I I do a lot of uh, seminars and service trainings on psychology and resilience. One year, I traveled over 300 days. With United Airlines, one year, I traveled over 100,000 miles, and that's just one airline. That's gone. That's evaporated. So now I have to learn to do things different. I just have to, and that's the acceptance. And that's going to be, by the way, the title of the uh, second show we're working on as we speak is The Bridge of Acceptance. I have to learn to do things differently. We all have to learn. And with that, there's a lot of stress and there's so much white noise. A lot of people screaming, a lot of people doom and gloom. And I understand that. And if you're overwhelmed, turn it off. When you get up in the morning, please get a sit rep, a situation report. What's going on in the world? What's going on in the nation? What's going on in your community? Get a five to 10 minute sit rep and then please turn it off. Sometimes it's just too much. And I know there's a lot of people saying they hope the virus goes away, they want it to go away, but that's not good science and that's not good common sense. The, the man that's hitting it out of the park, that's giving us the, our, our uncle, our grandfather, our, our Mr. Rogers of doctors, of scientists. I call him Dr. Tony, uh, Dr. Anthony uh, Fauci. Very, very nice man. He's been Johnny on the spot. He's given us information that we can use, whether we like it or not, and we have to accept that. But if it's overwhelming for you, please, please, please just turn it off. Another thing that I have to address, and it breaks my heart, is when cops go bad. I, I just cannot believe, ladies and gentlemen, it, it, I, it, I'm so angered. I want to cry. I want to yell. When, 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 when cops are bullies, it's just, it, I, 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 after 30 years of Rodney King, 30 years later, and after electing an Afri- African-American president, we have this behavior that's intolerant. There, there's, 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 there's no, I think the word is disgusting. If I can say this in one word, it's simply disgusting, which breaks my heart <clears throat> excuse me, is I was rescued by, in, in part by the police. I was horribly abused from the age of four until the age of 12, and I was in part rescued by, by a young, beautiful police officer. He's, he, he, they, they took me into emergency protective custody, which they didn't really have the PC, penal codes back then, to protect children, let alone those trying to protect children. It was a very different world. And this man took me in protective custody. He drove me to the hospital, stayed with me for hours more than he should, dropped me off to a temporary foster home. I, 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 I'm in, in, indebted to people like him. Years later, when my baby was a baby, I, got, I was flying for the Air Force at the time. I had a part-time job as a counselor in juvenile hall, so I worked with juvenile prob- probation. And as the years progressed, I, I did uh, in-service training on child abuse awareness, prevention, and resilience. Spoke at the state, regional uh, level, uh, uh, even even the highest uh, 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 the highest, uh, et- 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 pardon me, the highest levels of of, of federal enforcement. And ninety nine point nine percent of these folks who put their lives on the line for us every single day are amazing heroes. They truly believe in the mantra, the credo, to protect and to serve. But when police officers go bad, intolerable. I just cannot, cannot believe this. And I will say this, and I want to be quoted just as I say it, black lives matter. All lives matter. Black, white, yellow, brown, whatever. Male, female, we should all be equal. No matter your your orientation, no matter your gender, no matter your faith, all lives matter. Now, the flip side of this, maybe, maybe, maybe we can finally talk about what people don't want to recognize, maybe because of this, because of such needless loss of life and needless violence, especially in this day and age of this pandemic, we can finally address things that need to be addressed, and we can finally all live in peace and respect each other. We are the nation. We are still the beacon of hope that hundreds of thousands of people still clamor to come onto our shores. We're supposed to be better than that, ladies and gentlemen. We should be better than that, because I am of the generation, and I truly believe in this mantra. Truth, justice, the American way. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I know it's kind of serious out of the gate, but I have to, (laughs) you know, I'm obligated to to address things. But with that, let's kind of go on to the show. I have strong beliefs and one of my major beliefs is if, if, if you're going to tell somebody something you should have some qualifications. I, I, I don't like it when I, when I see these professional motivational speakers that, 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 that you must clamor to so they can say if you can think it you can do it and you don't know who they are what their qualifications are and half the time they're just making this garbage up. When I see America's Sweetheart. Uh, a Marie Osmond, you know, and, and she says, you know, um, I was a performing, she's been performing since she was a child, ladies and gentlemen, part of the Osmond family, and she said, I was traveling, I was eating badly, I gained a lot of weight, not a, I had some health issues, and when I see her on, on, on a diet, and she says, I've been doing this for five years, I like it, please give it a shot, I'm going, wow, I know her, I trust her, look where she was, look where she's at, that makes sense to me, so whether it's health or uh, in the 80s, uh, if you wanted to build muscles and, and, and get into good shape, it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. You saw where he was and what he's done and going, oh, my goodness, I, if he can do it, maybe I can do it, too. I'll try. I like that system. So with me, I really don't have a lot of qualifications. I study psychology a lot. I've written some books on self-help. But maybe my qualifications is this, if I may. I'm, I'm a radio boy. Ever since I was a child in the basement, I lived in the basement, it started about age four, I just remember the solace of hearing the words, bye-bye, baby. You see, my father was a firefighter in San Francisco, so we lived just south of that in Daly City. And, of course, you know, San Francisco Giants fans. And I remember this guy going, bye-bye, baby, because in my mind, whenever Say Hey Willie Mays, number 24, got up to bat, he would always, again, in my childlike mind, hit a home run, hit a grand slam, save the team. And I remember I would, I would, it was sad for me. I would kind of cry a little bit when, when they, they had the song, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Buy me some, some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. I don't want to ever come back. And I imagine myself sitting between my two brothers at the time, my mother who was hugging me, and my father beside me, and we're just one happy family, and I didn't want to go back home because that meant I'd have to go back to the basement that was my introduction to radio years later again still living in the basement it was a uh, halloween season and i remember listening to uh they played just a few uh minutes of the radio program called war of the worlds hg wells's version of that it was it was, a, it was a big i think it was 1938 so think about that 1938 you still had out, you still had outhouses uh, uh uh and people listened to the show and i i remember uh, uh, you know, the, the sound effects and, and, and everything they did. And Orson Welles was, was a scoundrel. He really was. They actually, there was a lady that had a heart attack. There was people in New Jersey that were out there in shotguns. They really thought were being invaded by the Martians. They thought this was the real thing. About a week or so later, Orson had to address uh, some folks. He says, I didn't mean to create havoc. I, I, I told them it was all a, a, a show. And he was right. See, what, what happens, ladies and gentlemen, you know, you have these commercials. So people, naturally, as we still do sometimes, they go to another channel. A couple minutes later, they come back, and people thought, oh, my gosh, this is the end of the world. And there was, uh, there, there, there was a voice. They're, they're, they're going into the Hudson River, thousands of them. They're dropping like rats. <coughs> this, is, this is the end. Now it's over. <coughs> and then it went boop. You're like, oh, my God. If it's happening on the East Coast, it's going to happen on the West Coast. But I just loved it. And if you haven't listened to it, you can, I'm sure, download it or get the CD. So it's Orson Welles' version from the H.G. Wells uh, uh, novel, War of the Worlds. And I was just, I was hooked. I remember Jack Benny. I remember uh, George and Gracie, uh, Phil Harris uh, and his wife Alice Faye. I love those shows. Now, years later, as an adult, when I lived in Southern California, I had a little radio show that I did once a week. No matter where I was at in the world, I would stop whatever I was doing and, and, and had a show. And I'm very proud to say that I did a show live from Baghdad. And, and we had a little a couple of comi- comical skits in there. And, you know, I was embedded with the troops and w- with the U.S. Army. And we did some spoofs on that. And then years later, when I moved from Southern to Northern California in a very small place, uh, I did a show. And if you went more than a mile north or south, you know, we just, we just lost it. But I just want you to know I'm so happy to do this. And I've been asked to do this for a while, but I'm, 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 I was, I'm a kind of afraid of technology. If you can see where I'm doing this show, you'd laugh. I mean, I, 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 I was probably the last American to buy an iPhone. I still have a, something called a slide rule. And a plumb bob when i measure things or weight and balances and so forth i'm a little afraid of technology so this is kind of a big thing for me so that's why i beg your patience with, with with this program so again it's my honor it's 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 my privilege to host this show for you and hopefully by now you can understand okay this is very unusual the show's unusual but you know what imagine yourself just having a cup of coffee imagine yourself just relaxing for a few minutes Hopefully, I can be you know, a, a soothing voice in, in this time. Because I, I, I'm a person of service, and I really believe being of, of service because I am lucky, ladies and gentlemen. I truly believe, and I'm going to slow down, which is kind of hard for me. I truly believe I am the luckiest person I know. I'm the most blessed person I know. Because as I said before, and you know it's, 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 I think when you're young, when I was young, at least I'm just fighting things off. I'm doing anything I can to survive, whether it's eating out of garbage cans or tightening muscles when I got attacked or, you know, uh, basically, you know, uh, stitching my own wounds so I can just live another day. And knowing what I know now as an adult, I'm pushing 6-0. I'm on the back nine of the back nine. I know for a fact that I should be dead or in prison with all the anger I've had and all the frustration, I would be the perfect terrorist. I would make ISIS blush. And thank God I got the help that I needed at the time. If you have a problem, ladies and gentlemen, that you can't deal with, please get help. Mental services is going to be a booming business for the next 20 years, and there is no shame whatsoever to raise your hand, pick up the phone, uh, uh, email Get help that you need, police, particularly with all that's going on. We're not out of this yet. This is going to be a long, long haul, and it's going to affect all of us around the world. Please get help. Because you know what, ladies and gentlemen, I really believe this. There's a lot of luck in life. I truly believe that. When it, when it comes to luck, you know, uh, and, and, and I study people. I'm going to kind of just just, just stop and go on a tangent for a second. I'm what they call a psychological voyeur. I study what makes people great, what makes them good, what makes them creative, what makes them evil. I just want to know. I study people from like Reagan or Kennedy, uh, Dick Nixon and and the Kennedy family. Uh, Truman, if you want to read about someone, an average person, just an average person, read... Uh, I forget the, the last name of the author. The first name is David. He does all the bios from the Wright Brothers to Truman and so forth. It's like 800 pages, but it talks about every aspect of Truman's life. He was late in the game. He was the oldest lieutenant in World War I. He got late into politics. He married late. He had children late. Everything was always late for him, and he was just a common-sense guy i that never forget the words when he took the oath of enlistment after the president died. I feel as if the weight of the world has landed on my shoulders. And he had the mantra on the desk, the buck stops here. And he did so much. After World War II, we had the Marshall Plan. He was trying to keep Europe together uh, when the Soviets blocked it off with the wall, the airlift, uh, the creation of the State of Israel. The transportation problems, trying to get people going, trying to get the nation to rebuild itself, and the, helping out the, the world as, as good Americans as we were. This man had so much good work that we're still, because of his genius and his dedication, his dedication, we're still looking at that work to this day. I uh, look at Walt Disney, the genius of Walt Disney. The secret of Walt Disney was his brother Roy. Walt would come up with these ideas. Roy made him work. Roy was the silent guy out there that a lot of people don't even know, for goodness sakes. But Walt was a genius. There's other people like, I think one of the best stories I've read, you want to read a great American story? Leon Panetta. How his parents came over, how they raised him to work hard, to be of public service. And you want to talk about a lifetime. He's still, as retired individual, still serving the public down in the Monterey area unbelievable story. I just I, I love people like that, but then I also study evil, from, from Adolf Hitler to uh, uh, Saddam Hussein and his evil boys, and even the American terrorist, terrorist Timothy McVeigh. I, after reading that book, I can understand why he did what he did, the triggers in his mind that he had to respond in a certain way, how he felt defeated, that everything he tried to do didn't work, so he took a walk on the wild side. And it's amazing. I study books like Into Thin Air. If you, if you want to play detective, the, the, the book, and you've seen the movie Into Thin Air, I'm sure, but the book Into Thin Air is about the Mount Everest tragedy. And if you're a good detective, you can figure out how it went wrong, how stupid, simple mistakes and ego got involved that caused this tragedy. Their, their bodies are still up at Mount Everest, encased in ice. So I study things. That's why I say again, I am so, so, so lucky. If anything, everything that happened against me happened at the right time. If, if I can somehow get you to look at what's wrong now, but look at the things that are right. Uh, as a firefighter, uh, I was. Uh, I, I spent the Fourth of July at my uh, beloved uh, Russian River, serving, and, and, I, and I took the crew out for lunch. And we sat outside. And it was amazing, because we see people golfing. It was, it's a, a golf course, and they have a little restaurant. And, and, and we were sitting outside, and I said, guys, be quiet for a second. Why? Because they're young men. They're in their 20s. Look at this. Look at what? We're eating Outside, and they go, Yeah, cool, cool. I'm going, We got to take a photo of this, man. This is cool. I mean, think about it. We're just eating outside, watching people hit a ball, families eating, you know, people just having a good time. And to me, it was so amazing that we finally get to eat outside, you know, look at the birds, the trees, the air, and smelling the air, all that good stuff. It's just, to me, it was like such a blessing. What I'm trying to say is sometimes in the middle of something bad, look for those, those pebbles, those beautiful pebbles of life that make something bad better. There's a saying by Winston Churchill, when you're going through hell, you just keep going. But at the same time, as you're making your journey, as we're in this new world, please grab those little pebbles of life and have that sense of appreciation, that sense of kindness from within. Me, I, knew what was happening by the age of four, that something was very, very wrong, that whatever I did, I couldn't do it right, or any, meeny, miny, hey, mo. I happened to be a horrible child. The first four years of your life is very maternal, the bonding, the intimacy, trust. So I had a little bit of that, and that might have been enough to get me through, because children think in black and white terms. By the time I was eight, Uh, And and we'll talk about this more at length, uh, maybe the next show, The Bridge of Acceptance. But my mother had burnt my arm on a gas stove. And and, and afterwards, you know, uh, she threw me downstairs into the basement because my brother came home early from a Boy Scout meeting. And the biggest thing back then was to never expose the secret. And that was a huge thing. You know, don't open up Pandora's box. So I'm in the basement. I'm eight years old. I'm putting on my clothes because I was stripped down to my uh, underwear. I got dressed in the dark. And you have to understand, I'm at the age, I thought all these monsters were going to get me, these these shadow monsters, whether it be alligators or big snakes or these big dinosaurs are going to gobble me up. I'm scared to death and I'm getting dressed. My mother's upstairs praising my brother. Oh, you're the best son in the world. I love you so much. Oh, you're, you're, you're my special little guy. And here I am, invisible in the basement. And for the first time in my life, I cried. I purged. And I came to realize, I came to accept, this is not me. The first eight years, the first eight years of our lives, 90% of, of, of our psyche, our self-esteem, is formed in the first eight years. How we see ourselves. how we think the world sees us, You know, if we can dream it, maybe we can't achieve it. You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an astronaut. I want to fly jets. I I, I want to be a baseball player. I want to be a ballerina. I want to be an actress. You know, you believe that at that age because you have the esteem. A little bit of ignorance, but you have that esteem, and that's so important. At age eight, the most amazing thing I was blessed to do, and, and, and it was luck. It was just luck. My mom burnt my arm on a gas stove. I licked my wounds, literally, from the palm of my hand to my bicep, which was stupid. And I realized, oh my gosh, it hurts. If it hurts, it means I'm alive, which means I'm not dead, which means, because I kind of manipulated her, and that's a big story. We'll talk about that later. I manipulated her to have her hit me rather than burn me further. So, what I did was I raised my arm, which was stupid, because again, blisters. From the palm of the hand, down my arm, to parts my bicep. I lifted my arm, take it like a Cub Scout vowel, Boy Scout vow. And I basically said, from this moment on, I will do whatever I can. From this moment on, I will not quit. I basically stated to myself, if I have to crawl on glass, I will go through this. I, would, I, I knew, in a sense, I couldn't change the exterior. My mom was sick. Ladies and gentlemen, hurt people hurt people. That's just it. Some people spend a thousand years, the quest for the Holy Grail, looking for the answer of the answer of the answer, spending needless time and energy, and sometimes you got to cut your losses and just move on. How did the virus start? How did it get here? Who's ground zero? That okay, okay. I mean, we can do that later. Right now, we have to take care of ourselves. Right now, we have to look how lucky we are today. I remember saying, ladies and gentlemen, another tangent, when I did the, uh, the radio internet program, I said, I'm so happy to be in the Great Recession. And we got phone calls from all over the place. What do you mean, Dave? What do you mean? Well, every time we pay our rent or mortgage, we feel a lot better. Every time our kids come home from school, is a blessed day. We don't need to buy 20 DVD, Blu-ray surround sound, uh, uh, you know, movies every day. So now that we go out to Applebee's or go to Mickey D's, that's a great thing. We can appreciate it all the more. There's a lot of luck in life. The fact that I was able to raise my hand and take a vow, and again, on the inside, I was, you know, on the outside, I was affable. I was stupid. I was clumsy. I didn't speak. My mother did not allow me to speak in her house. I went from David to the boy to it. Even I had to go to speech class in the first grade because I could not pronounce A E I O U. I stuttered so horribly because I was so scared. And it was, I think it was about age eight or nine, I swallowed ammonia. If you swallow ammonia once, the first thing that happens it burns your tongue. It's basically just the layers of your tongue fall off. It's burnt. Then it scars your trachea and your esophagus. One of the reasons why I speak a little fast is I kind of have to keep my tube lubed. And whenever I'm in public, I'm always, I always have something to drink. Always have water. Water, water, water. All water, iced tea, Gatorade, something. I got to have something to drink. So I apologize if I do speak a little fast. Of course, I'm excited. To be in your presence, to be in your house, to be in your car. But that's one of the real reasons. I remember at age 14, I started to learn how to speak. And we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But at age 8, and this is important, I took a vow that I keep to to this very day. I will give everything my best. I've been blessed, uh, 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 ladies and gentlemen. I I, 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 I can't begin to tell you how uh, an, an adventurous life I've had. Here's a boy that doesn't speak, now you can't shut him up. I had no coordination whatsoever, didn't even know how to throw a baseball as a child, no sports whatsoever. And yet, I was allowed to fly for the United States Air Force. It was hard work getting there. Air Force didn't want me. I was a high school foster child dropout, the trifector. But I went in every day, um, studied every brochure, shined their shoes, anything I could to get in. Got my GED took my ASVAB a couple more times to get my scores up a little bit more, and then I was allowed to join the Air Force to become a cook in the swamps of Florida. The worst job in the world, I had to suck it up. I just had to suck it up and do what I had to do. Eventually, took college classes in math, uh, computer science classes, and uh, uh, just did. I used to write letters to Kelly Johnson. Kelly Johnson was the designer for the SR-71 Blackbird. If you know aeronautics, This is the James Bond of of aircraft, before stealth, SR seventy one. And by luck, I was allowed to fly for the Air Force, mid air refueler for the SR seventy one. Then years later, it was very classified. I was part of the Stealth Fighter Program, mid-air refueling for that. A lot of luck, but you have to earn your luck. You have to work. At age twelve, I was rescued. Do you want to talk about luck and life, ladies and gentlemen? I'll never forget that Friday morning. I'm sleeping in the basement. Uh, on my bed was an army cot, an old army cot with basically rags for blankets. I used to stick them between my legs, under my arms, and the clean ones I would put over my face. Just a little bit of hole so I can breathe. I woke up late. I was supposed to wake up a half an, hour, half an hour before the family was to wake up to do the chores in the dark, sweeping the stairs, sweeping the garage out, and then when I was allowed to come in, do the bathroom, do the breakfast dishes. After the family ate, of course, I don't get food. And this particular day, I was so late. I remember I couldn't even walk up the stairs. My motor skills were shutting down. I hadn't slept. I hadn't slept since my parents separated in January, and this is now March. I know my mom's going to kill me because my father's gone. They're separated. It's just a matter of time. And that entire week, starting Monday, she announced that her babies, her children, because I was not her child, she would always say, I was biologically, but, you know, I was removed psychologically. That she was going to have her babies go to her brother's house, and we, mother and I, would have the entire weekend alone, and I knew she was going to kill me. I knew she was going to hide the secret somehow, some way. in my little mind, this is it. And that was, it was, it was basic terrorism. I mean, every, every 10 minutes, she'd be behind my back. Friday's coming, a couple more days, tomorrow's Friday, guess what? So I was shut, I shut down. I wasn't sleeping. I couldn't, I couldn't steal food. I was ready to die at that time. I wasn't suicidal. I was just ready to give in. I was just so, so, so tired. By coincidence, uh, uh, just an amazing uh, series of events. I go to school. Uh, I report to my uh, homeroom teacher. I'm not allowed into the class. He gives me the nod. We've been doing this now for a year and a half. Uh, since I was in the fourth grade, I'm now in the fifth grade. I run to the nurse's office. I strip down to my disgusting soiled briefs, and this lady, God bless, checks me from my nose to my toes. She takes one look at me, boom! They call the police. Boom, boom, boom! I was rescued. You want to talk about luck? I I can't. I can almost cry. I didn't understand why I was even rescued till about twenty years later. You want to talk about ignorance? And when I found out again. I just cried in public in front of my teacher. And that's another story. But I was rescued and placed in foster care, and that's where the damage came in, the damage control. A year and a half later, into foster care, they had a, a, a child psychiatrist examine me several times. I, I was like, a, 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 everybody would talk to me, and I, I, I would just tell them part of the story or what I did and so forth. But this one guy reminded me of uh, Doc Brown, from uh, uh, the Back to the Future movies. Jump in jiggawacks, Marty! And he basically explained, uh, explained to uh, my foster mother and other people behind us and my social worker that there was no chance for me. The damage was just way too much. The isolation was too much. I was antisocial. I wasn't speaking very well. I'm hunched over. I know nothing. I have no hygiene, no very little motor skills. I, I can't even put on, I, I can't tie my shoes because my fingertips were s- numb. From years of working with chemicals, cleaning chemicals to clean the house. And the, doc, the, the doctor basically boasted that by the time I was 18, I would be dead or I'd be in prison. And I heard the words, but they kind of went over my head. And I felt ping, I felt something from deep inside that started at age eight. You want to talk about luck? I'll never forget my social worker sitting beside me, kind of gives me that nudge. And she said something that was just so beautiful. I always tell people, think about what you're going to say, but speak with purity of heart. You can never go wrong if you speak from your heart. And this beautiful lady said, if my little David can survive all that he did without any help, without any training, then I expect nothing but greatness from you. Does that make sense, ladies and gentlemen? There's a lot of luck in life. But you have to look for that luck and you have to receive that luck. You got to be ready for that luck. If you're young, you get two to three shots at this. Maybe people out of nowhere tell you the same thing. Maybe you're having a hard day and strangers or people call you or text you, hey, how are you doing? Hey, I was thinking of you. That's someone knocking on your door. Whether it's and, and people, ladies and gentlemen, are busy. We live in a very fast-paced world, and part of the machines. We become slaves to the machines of the cell phone, and all the Googling and texting and all that crazy stuff. It takes up so much time and needless energy. But folks are busy, whether it's the parents, the grandparents, the relatives, the neighbors, the teachers, maybe your higher power. They'll knock on your door two or three times, and after that, they're done, because they go on to other things. And if you have a problem, and you don't like this, and you don't like that, and you don't like da 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 you have to look at the common denominator. Maybe it's you. I don't know. That's why I'm saying, look at your luck and see what you can do to make things better, not only for yourself, but others around you. That's all I'm saying. I used to read books in the basement. I used to strain my eyes, because that was my, uh, uh, my strategy was, I'm so stupid, I'm so dumb, I have to do extra homework, Mom. All right. And she would time her beaties with the amount of homework. So I figured, okay, I'll bring home five books rather than two. And I remember reading adventure books, uh, you know, uh, uh, little child adventure books, for goodness sakes, you know, Treasure Island and so forth, The, 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 The Man in the Iron Mask. And I related, obviously, to these stories, for goodness sakes. And yet, years later, I, 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 I got to write books. Again, I didn't speak. Now you can't shut me up. I do a lot of comedy. I did a great comedy show outside of Baghdad one time. Robin Williams would have laughed, laughed his butt off, for goodness sakes. And it was all just raw and impromptu, for goodness sakes. There was a lot of luck in life. Live the adventure. I tell people, live the adventure to tell a good story, to spin a good yarn. So, ladies and gentlemen, I think for that. That's a lot to process. And you're probably going to have to listen to the show once or twice more to get some nuggets out of this. So let me do some housekeeping before we wrap up here. One, I want to thank our very good friend Pat Matheny. Pat Matheny does the, the music uh, the, 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 on, the, on the front end, and the back end. The front end song is called Here to Stay. The song that you're going to hear here in just a little bit, is the most amazing song. I'm, I'm trying, still trying to learn it on piano <laughs> years and years later. It's called Farmer's Trust. And I guarantee you, you listen to that song, and it's going to put a tear in your eye. And it's going to actually make you feel just a little bit better after you hear a song like that. So we want to thank our friend Pat Metheny and his management crew for allowing us to play a few minutes of his song. And if you don't know Pat Metheny, you really do. <laughs> You've heard his music. You just don't know the name. This man you want to talk about luck and earning luck, has 20 Grammys, nominated 37 times and has 20 Grammys. You want to talk about dedication and hard work. And again, he just loves to make people happy with his music. Unbelievable. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I want to add too, if you have a question that we can possibly answer, or maybe we can wrap a show around, if you have a question or a comment, you know, go to our website, DavePelzer.com, P-E-L-Z-E-R.com. com. There should be a banner and you click onto that and click onto something else and just write the question. You know, and just say your your, your first we'll say your first name and, and where you're from, the city. We won't expose who you are, give you some privacy. But if we can be of service, if we can be of help, please go there, okay? So with that, ladies and gentlemen, I think that's our time. Again, thank you so, so much. I hope I gave you a lot to think about. If you can just have a cup of coffee or just take a moment and say, you know what, in the middle of this crisis, I'm lucky. And what will you do with that luck? That's why I tell people: here's homework assignment for you, ladies and gentlemen. Do three nice things a day. Do three nice things a day for yourself, for your friends, for your family, but maybe for strangers. Maybe next time we see that nurse or that police officer, that first responder, give them a nod give them a salute, give them a thumbs up. Next time we see someone not doing so well, what can you say or do? Maybe, it might be nothing to you, but it might be the world to them. Because if we can survive all that we did without any help and without a lot of training, ladies and gentlemen, what can we not achieve? So there's a piece of homework assignment for you. So ladies and gentlemen, again, eyes open and chin up. Put some pep in your step. And again, when you're going through hell, you just keep going give yourself a kudo do what you have to do for the now here's a nice prayer do as much as you can for as long as you can for as many as you can so ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening this is your host Dave Pelzer saving America and the world at large from itself starting with me So until next time, good day, good luck, and as always, God bless.